Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Partly Political Broadcast, a podcast that digests the past week's politics and then has to apologise to everyone it sees because the news keeps repeating itself. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and if, as badly whisked egg whites David Davis says, Brexit will not plunge Britain into a Mad Max dystopia, how comes it's making everyone on both sides furiosa and furiosa? I mean, what more reassuring statement do we all need than for the Brexit secretary to insist that things won't be as bad as a horrific sci-fi scenario no one said it would be as bad as? Of course it won't be like the film Mad Max, although that is mainly because post-Brexit, fuel will be so expensive no one will be able to afford to have a car or bike gang, and all the silver paint we have won't meet EU health and safety standards, so if you spray it on your face you'll die. If, however, David Davis meant the original Mad Max film, then he's wrong, as Brexit is already a bit like that, because loads of people went full-on Mel Gibson straight after the referendum. But despite now suddenly having to worry about the economy and the rise of Immortan Joe, David Davis mostly used his Road to Brexit speech to reassure everyone that the UK wants to lead a global race to the top, which is tough when you live on a planet that's constantly spinning. He also said that a Brexit deal by the end of this year is apparently on the cards, though we still aren't entirely sure who's holding those cards, especially as the government's hand is entirely useless jokers. The cabinet met at the Prime Minister's country house last week and all we got was a lousy plan, where they basically said the UK will stick with EU standards and rules, but you know, our own way. Brilliant! It took 20 months for that. I mean, I don't know why the day after the referendum they didn't just say, hey, we've made a decision and everything will be the same, except from now on we'll call croissants bread turds and anyone kissing on both cheeks will be given a stern telling off. Though even though it seems generally like they just got bored of not having any ideas and then gave up, as Prime Minister and somehow haunted ghost, no, I don't know how she does that either, but she does. She's exactly like a haunted ghost. Theresa May apparently played a blinder. And no, sources weren't referring to the fact that they play some sort of weird ableist games behind closed doors, which would be entirely believable, but more that somehow Theresa May managed to persuade Brexiteers to shift their position, which I think was asked first, so now I guess everything might just be tits up. Never fear though, because slowly cantering forth from the distance, it's Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn, aka Steve Zizou and the Life Erratic. And he brings with him a party policy of being in a permanent customs union. Though not the customs union, just a car, we've been through all this before. Hooray though, an actual decision about where the opposition stand on Brexit, even if it's actually more of a sit down on Brexit but raising your hand to make a point after they've stopped taking questions. But as they say, better late than never, a phrase that applies to everything except nuclear war or, well, Brexit. And it's already ruffled vulture feathers as the Conservatives have accused Corbyn of playing politics with the country's future. Which is an odd comment considering Corbyn is a politician making a political statement about a political happening. I mean, if anyone is playing a game, it's the party who can only make a decision at checkers. 
Corbyn has also launched a tirade on the right-wing press after they lied about him knowingly meeting with a Czech spy 30 years ago. Because how does anyone even know if they've met a spy? I mean, isn't the whole thing with spies that no one would ever know? How crap are they as a spy? No? Okay. Uh, Corbyn said that the Sun, the Mail, the Telegraph and the Express had gone a bit James Bond in the last few days, which isn't true uh, because they've actually been unrealistic, misogynistic and generally up for attacking foreigners for absolutely ages. Corbyn told those papers that a change is going to come, by which he meant press regulation, but I reckon the internet, the fact most people treat newspapers like some sort of engraved tablets now, and the need to save trees, will probably just do it first. Ben Bradley, aka Evil Al Murray, was one of three Conservative MPs who chose to believe the tabloid story about Jezza, because yes, that does happen, even though everyone knows big letters on red are usually a warning sign. Bradley tweeted that Corbyn sold British secrets to communist spies, causing the Labour leader's lawyers to demand Bradley make a full apology and ask followers to retweet it. I mean, I personally would have preferred him to apologise in auto-tune to a ship beat, release it and then donate all the proceeds to charity, but Ben's tweet is now on 49,000 RTs, meaning it's the most popular Conservative tweet ever. Yeah, more than anything any other Conservative MP has ever done or the official party Twitter. The only time, it seems, anyone likes what they do online is when they obey the opposition and apologise. I hope their PR team will acknowledge this boost for their brand and they'll spend the next few years becoming big time online by apologising for everything before losing the next election for some five-star level shiz. Meanwhile, in the US, President, and what it would look like if there was a Japanese mascot for hemorrhoids, Donald Trump, has decided that the best way to keep schools safe is to give teachers guns, which he would then give them bonuses for doing. Trump has made huge cuts to education over the past year, and teachers don't get a bonus for teaching, so to give them one for carrying a weapon is pretty weird, though I suppose kids would behave a lot better in class. I mean, personally, I think it's an absolutely stupid idea, except for PE teachers, as maybe if they fired a gun, any attackers would just think a race had started and run off before anyone got hurt. And lastly, grime artist Stormzy used his appearance at the Brit Awards to call out Theresa May's lack of response to Grenfell, and him doing that managed to push a petition uh, to put more public trust into the Grenfell inquiry to over 150,000 signatures, which meant Downing Street had to give a response, and it now has to be discussed in Parliament. I think that is amazing, and now we all know how well that worked and actually got some sort of answer from May, I think we should all learn from it. And maybe if Michel Barnier wants to turn up to the next Brexit negotiations topless in the rain and rapidly about what the UK government's plan for the Irish border is, then we might have it all sorted out in days. Oh, and the UK has been hit by very cold weather and snow due to winds sweeping in from Russia. Gaping face wound Nigel Farage will no doubt any minute start telling everyone it's exactly what Britain needs. Howdy, pod champs! Brr, I'm not saying it's cold, but I have only been outside briefly today and it made the inside of my nose so frozen that if I sneezed, I'd probably have killed a child. Um, this is, of course, ideal weather uh, at the moment, you know, for me and my wife as our baby is due next Friday and it could really come at any point before then. So I'm sure it's going to be really easy to just get my wife to the hospital by, I don't know, sled. I've been watching the Winter Olympics. I mean, how hard can it be? Um, hopefully you are all toasty warm, uh, which going by my toaster means some of you are probably very charged or on fire or weirdly if you're a bagel just still freezing cold I have a really shit toaster anyway thank you for listening and it seems last week's jingle telling you all to review the show donate to the Patreon and Kofi and generally tell others all about it went down very well um, and by well I mean thank you to Real Toms for the very nice one review that we got and to uh, Yosuke for the Patreon donation uh, though I believe that is largely because I mispronounced his name twice on last week's show I'm sorry Yosuke uh, oh god I've probably mispronounced it thrice uh, quite Quadruprice, quad, quadrupilize. Uh, now, anyway, I'm terrible. Um, but look, if you would like me to mispronounce your name on this show and then get confused about numbers uh, in return for, say, a regular Patreon donation, I will do that for you. I will do that for you, whether you're a Stiven or a Swazen uh, or or a or a Marchel or a Guadan. Um, those are just some names I can mispronounce. Um, I'll be happy to do that for you. What I mean is basically after the positive response to the jingle, um, here is a remix of that jingle to keep things a bit fresh for you and save me from repeating all the stuff I just repeated to point out what was in the jingle that you'll now hear. God, with skills like that, I should really be an MP. Yeah, yeah, it's the remix. It's the remix. 
Yeah, thanks very much. Listen to the show. Here's some things that you should know, yo. If you want to donate to Parpol Bro, then do it. The sites are now below. Patreon.com forward slash Parpol Bro. Kofi.com forward slash Parpol Bro. What if you want to review the show? Do it on iTunes or places you know. What, what if I want to just say hello? Then go to the Twitter at Parpol Bro or the Facebook group whose title is long or email me at Partly Political Broadcasts at gmail.com Love you And there's not much else to say this week um, though if you are a London person or you have heard of London or you have read about it in a book or seen it in a film um, a brand new comedy club I'm helping to programme opens this Friday with some very lovely lineups. and yes I would say that because I booked them Anyway you can find out about all that at londonslivecomedy.com and there's loads of excellent curated nights coming up from people like Sarah Pascoe and Elf Lines and Amy Hoversker and all sorts of others uh, so do check those out if you like laughing and if you don't like laughing may I recommend the news or Twitter You're welcome Oh, and I always forget to plug this, but if you want to hear about gigs I'm doing, then please sign up to my mailing list at tianandoyeb.co.uk, which, uh, step one, try spelling that, dickhead. Um, and I'm going to be sending the March one out later this week, although the March one is mostly going to be me saying, I'm not doing anything this month because I'm waiting to herald the arrival of Tiny Doyeb. And once they arrive, I'll list their gigs on the regular emails as well. Um, but if you'd like an email that essentially has no useful content and just collapses into your inbox once a month, wheezing full of badly constructed sentences and self-indulgent wittering, then go and sign up it's brilliant oh and the other thing uh, that I forgot to do last year when this came around and the British Podcast Awards open uh, their listeners award voting on March the 1st now there is absolutely no chance that this podcast will win anything because you need bazillions of listeners who are also willing to type in a thing online but if any of you feel like giving the show a shout out anyway just so it's not sort of forgotten under the six million plugs for uh, Adam Buxton's podcast which would be well deserved or you know something where people get murdered slightly less well deserved then head to britishpodcastawards.com uh, from Thursday and just give us a little vote eh? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a bit like um, I know we won't win but it's a bit like general elections you know where ultimately for example Parpol Bro won't lead the country but think of it as a small noticeable protest vote and with any luck it'll go all Brexit and then I'll win much to the upset of many and consequently ruining podcasting forever on this week's show, there is a brief interview with Italian correspondent for The Economist, John Hooper, all about the Italian elections next weekend. And it was meant to be a longer interview, but Rome has been hit with snow as well, and it's genuinely baffled the shit out of them because they don't really know what the fuck that is. Um, everything has stopped working, and that meant that John uh, had planned to be for some while, but he had to leave a lot earlier to get to his appointments than he'd thought. Um, bloody Russian snowflakes tampering with everything. Um, so so anyway, I've tried to fill in a few gaps of the questions I didn't get to ask him um, on Italian politics. Uh, also, there is uh, some Brexit hellscape. And there is the reason I spent far too long looking online for folk music loops. And then I missed Corbyn's speech. And then I found one that still doesn't really work. And then the whole thing sounds shit. But I did it anyway. Look forward to that. You're welcome. But of course, before any of that, there is this. Universities. No, not places where mythical horned horses do poetry about hot beverages. Instead, institutes of higher education of the sort of place where they'd hugely marked down my intro statement to this because it didn't really address the issue, was highly irrelevant and mostly was shit. But universities are hugely important hubs, without which many young people would not be able to study and train to an academic level, which is super useful if only to be able to feel like your anger and frustration is justified when you still can't get a job after graduating. If you are a student, or you work in a university, or you watch the news, or you've just made some sort of amazing guess like a modern-day Nostradamus, then you'll know that over the last week, university lecturers from over 60 universities went on strike, beginning a 14-day protest that will result in about 600,000 teaching hours being lost. So, according to Malcolm Gladwell, that's 60 people who will lose out on becoming world-class professionals if somehow those 60 people were then being taught by all of those hundreds of lecturers. No, it doesn't really work. Yes, I'll not use that bit again. Um, the reason the lecturers are on strike is because of proposed cuts to their pension scheme, which could see some of them losing anywhere between 60 grand and 200 grand over their years of retirement. This would happen because their pension scheme is being shifted from one where it's dependent on your final salary to one where it's dependent on how their pension funds have performed on the stock market, which is bonkers. You teach thousands of students, you work hard all your life bestowing wisdom, and for all you know, you'll get a shitty pension because some dick in Wall Street snorted too much coke and felt sad that day. Well done. 
University lecturers have already suffered real pay cuts over the last few years. Plus, many are on casual contracts too, so there's not a lot to entice you to the job anymore. You know, apart from maybe inspiring the future generation and wearing an awesome Harry Potter type gown once a year. But while university spend on lecturers has fallen, pay for university vice-chancellors is huge bananas, with most getting six times what lecturers would get. And I'll be honest, I don't even know what a vice-chancellor does. It's the person in charge of wicked behaviour, right? No? Well, then how do you explain a salary of 246000 a year? That's got to be for dealing with some naughty shit. According to the National Student Survey, there is absolutely no correlation between how much a university pays its vice-chancellor and how satisfied students are with their experience. So you can see why lecturers are peeved to the max. And with Brexit looming as well, over 2,000 EU university staff have just left UK universities, all of which means less foreign students want to come over because there are now less top-class experts teaching, which means universities get less money, which means lecturers get even more cuts, and ultimately it feels like the sort of hell spiral Dante might put somewhere in, you know, an online scene of extras. The Office for Students becomes fully operational in April and they are set to review Vice-Chancellor pay, grade inflation and help for disadvantaged students, as well as look at high tuition fees, which has also been an issue this month. And that all sounds quite good, except there are concerns that actually the Office of Students will end up cutting the pay of senior figures without doing anything to fix lecturer pensions or pay in the first place. So, several vice-chancellors who are in support of the lecturer's strike are actually calling for the government to guarantee pensions, you know, like they do for teachers and local government, essentially nationalising them. Will it happen? Well, hopefully, but considering only months ago the government were looking to hire outie with a face Toby Young to help the management of university funding and their governance, or that Theresa May is confused why tuition fees she voted for are so expensive, and the education secretary job just keeps getting passed over to whichever MP is slowest to say no, I'm not sure they've learned much of a lesson on how to do it properly. Here is the tale of a Tory MP who went by the name of Ben Bradley. Jumped on a story about Corbyn, did he? But it turned out he did so libelously. Oh, Ben Bradley, oh, Ben Bradley. Naive, arrogant, and smugness was he. But legal action happened swiftly, so he had to say sorry for all to see. A new MP in Nottinghamshire, on the internet he played with fire. He thought he were quick and he thought he were clever, scribing mean comments about whoever. Give vasectomies to the poor, police brutality is fun. Oh, public sector workers don't know that they're born. Oh, he blogged and posted and tweeted and twort. So many ideas no one should have thought. But then one fateful February night, he spied a rag with his beady sight. It said his opponent was a spy, and so thought Ben, bring his downfall will I. But oh, ridicule, because without fact-checking, his pompous swagger did come undone. Oh, Ben Bradley, oh, Ben Bradley, naive arrogance and smugness was he. But legal action happened swiftly, so he had to say sorry for all to see. And so whenever you read some hype, you must research before you type. Whether you're a Labour Red or a Tory Blues, you should know better than to be fake news. And that is the moral of this story, the sad, tragic tale of Ben Bradley. Oh, Ben Bradley, oh, Ben Bradley, he had to say sorry for all to see. Italy. Europe's high-heeled boot hoofing a turd into Africa. I like Italy as a place, uh, mainly for the food and, of course, the food, and uh, definitely not forgetting the food. But the country itself is in a very tricky situation right now, with an absolute shit ton of national debt, an increase in anti-immigration rhetoric, and as they go to the polls on Sunday, another one of those Western world elections where really no one has the faintest idea what on earth will happen. And I know those sorts of elections were absolutely feared a few years ago due to the results of Brexit and then Trump, but then they were sort of pulled back again by Macron, depending on how you feel about his shiny face, and then they were ruined again by Austria. But here we are with absolutely no clear picture if Italy is going to go centre-right with a sex-pest leader who looks like when Bishop in Aliens melted and can't actually be Prime Minister because of criminal convictions, or they'll go centre-left with a leader who's already resigned as Prime Minister because no-one liked his power-grabbing constitutional referendum, or go for an anti-establishment party created by a comedian now led by the creepy guy from your sixth form college who's campaigning for pro-green but anti-immigration policies because somehow you can love the planet but hate everyone else on it. There is a lot to unpack with normal Italian elections uh, with them 
having rapidly changing governments, as well as an election system that works with a lot of first-past-the-post, a little bit of proportional representation, and then a tiny smattering of Italians abroad voting for just 12 seats. And all of that, plus there's arm-waving. But this year is particularly complex due to, well, an awful lot of reasons. So rather than attempt to get my head around it like uh, spaghetti round a fork. OK, that was that was weak, but mm, spaghetti. Rather than do that, I called in an expert to explain what it's all about. John Hooper is the Italy and Vatican correspondent for The Economist, and he has been a journalist reporting on matters abroad for over 30 years. John has been covering the run-up to the election extensively, and his Twitter feed has been an absolutely fascinating read of facts, insights and hilariously odd stories about election candidates having their cars blocked by police for parking violations. John very kindly found time in his very busy schedule to chat to me, but as I mentioned earlier, unexpected snow in Rome slightly messed everything up. Um, I'm pretty sure snow in Rome is a phrase not unlike when hell freezes over. Um, But as a result of everything stopping, uh, John had less time to chat than previously hoped. However, I got to ask him a good few questions, and hopefully this will give you as informed an insight as you can get into what may happen this coming weekend. So this Italian election is being held as really uh, significant for Italy and the whole of Europe. Why is this one more important than, say, previous Italian elections? Well, I think that the rest of Europe is always jittery about Italy because it has this reputation for instability. And particularly since the launch of the euro, other European countries and the Commission in Brussels have looked at Italian elections with a certain apprehension. And the reason for that is that the debts of Italy are so high and so enormous. Um, They're now over 130% of GDP, which means that because Italy's economy is a big one, and it's one of the members of the the G8, um, it is just too big to fail. So the idea that the Italians might not be able to repay those debts or carry on repaying the interest on those debts anyway is one that sends shivers right the way through Europe. I think that what people were initially worried about was that the country would become ungovernable because there would be a hung parliament. Now, personally, I don't think that is a great Uh, problem for two reasons. First of all, that the Italians have got, uh, if nothing else, uh, a great deal of experience at dealing with tricky political uh, situations and finding solutions to them. Um, And secondly, because we've seen in other countries like Spain um, and Belgium um, that often countries can go for a very long time without a proper government, and yet they can survive and even prosper. So I think that that worry is misplaced. Where I don't think that the worry, particularly in financial markets, is misplaced, is worrying about what repercussions the promises that have been made in this election will have on the debt, because if the parties really do implement some of those uh, th- th- those promises, then they are going to have big government budget deficits, and big government budget deficits means more debt. And that really does worry people. And when you say uh, some of those promises, is what, uh, am I right in thinking that some of those promises are made by the, the five-star party? Because I've seen they're quite, they seem quite anti-EU, and they're not, they don't seem to be keen on paying the debt back. Is is that one of the the parties that you mean? Yeah, they 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 they're all in it. Uh, it has been a, a, a campaign marked by irresponsibility. Um, the right is promising a flat tax, um, which, if it's not properly, that's a flat rate of income tax, and if that transition isn't held, isn't handled properly then that could certainly send the budget deficit yawning. Um, The Five Star Movement as well, yes, they are talking about uh, giving um, a a, a kind of safety net benefit to those who are out of work. And that's clearly 
very costly. Uh, the problem is not so much actually what the various parties are promising. It's the fact that they're promising them without credible funding. That's the real problem. They're not telling people where they're going to get the money to do these things. So is there any... Uh, are there any of the parties that you think are sort of sensible or have any kind of uh, possibility of getting through that might provide a decent plan for the future? Well, I think that the the hope in the markets is that the two parties which the two big parties which are closest to the center so on the one side uh, you've got uh, Matteo Renzi's democratic party center left and on the other side Silvio Berlusconi's Forza Italia center right that because of the hung parliament that they will get together and form a grand coalition uh, and that then they will be more responsible, that they will act as a break on each other, and everything will be fine. But that outcome is by no means assured. And um, it's not even necessarily uh, the case that these parties won't um, abandon, that will abandon their uh, promises once in office. So um, what... The, I, the background to this is a great deal of discontent, uh, dissatisfaction among Italians with the way in which they are being treated within the Eurozone. Um, people are sick to death of the austerity policies that are being imposed on them from Brussels and feel that uh, they can't go on like this. So all of the parties have met this by saying, we will um, not pay so much attention to the restrictions from Brussels. We'll just go out and spend and try and re-stimulate the economy in that way. So so is there a sort of, uh, I mean, would, would there be a possibility of a sort of Italian Brexit in the future? Is, is, that, kind of, is that animosity towards the EU that high? No, I think one can't rule it out totally, but I don't think that that is really a risk. Um, the... Uh, somebody I spoke to actually in, in the Northern League, which has been a very aggressive proponent of leaving the euro, said that the reality, whatever the campaign rhetoric, was that getting out of the euro, um, however much you may feel that membership was um, damaging to Italy, was devilishly difficult. And to do it without, for example, causing a run on the banks. Um, so I don't see that happening anytime soon, but I do imagine that there could be a lot of posturing uh, and, and threats to do so. And how much is, obviously you said a lot of it's about animosity towards the EU, but how much uh, of this is also, a res you know, uh, the possibility of other parties getting in or being a hung parliament, how much of that is to do with the failed referendum from Renzi in uh, twenty at the end of 2016? Um, because that caused quite a lot of upset at the time, didn't it? And has that affected the Democratic Party's uh, election possibilities? Yes, definitely, because the referendum was for a reform of the constitution that Renzi was proposing and which would have made for a much more decisive kind of government. So it would, it would have excluded the possibility of a hung parliament, and it would mean that one chamber um, was decisive. Um, at the moment, Italy has a system where the two houses of parliament are equal and identical in their powers, and that often logjams government. Um, the assumption that Renzi always had was that if he got that through the referendum, then people would elect him. Um, now, what we've seen since doesn't necessarily bear that out. But then what we've seen since has been also a consequence of his defeat. He has become a loser. And I think that what we've seen in the last few months is that perception of him increasing, partly because of his own actions. He's fallen out with so many people in his own party that some of them have marched off and formed another 
um, alliance, which is contesting the election, which doesn't have a snowball's hell in chance of winning the election, but which is uh, is 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 drawing votes away from uh, the, the Democratic Party. Um, the leader of the Five Star Movement, uh, Luigi Di Maio, or rather it's, Paul, it's, it's a prime ministerial candidate, Di Maio uh, said today that they were now in the Democratic Party below 20% and that voting for them was a wasted vote. Um, now, that's probably just campaign talk, but it's got to the point where that wouldn't be so surprising. Wow, because um, it could be wow, it could be quite a big change uh, happening. And I wanted to ask. I know this is probably quite an obvious question, but why is Silvio Berlusconi returned, and how has that happened? I mean, I'd, I'd have thought that he was now a disgraced politician in the eyes of many Italians. Well, you know, the phrase "disgraced" uh, is not often used here, and certainly not used in his context. Um, partly, I suspect, because of his. Uh, formidable media power. Um, this is a man who owns three television channels or controls three television channels, who has a daily newspaper. Um, you know, a lot of journalists um, are careful when they uh, refer to him. Um, you know, you, you never quite know when you might not be needing a job from the guy. Um, <laughs> so... Um, that phrase is not often heard, but certainly anybody outside Italy would see him in those terms. Um, but his various sex scandals, even at the time, had actually very little impact on his standing. What really brought him down in 2011 was the failure of the economy or his failure to deal with the economic crisis at the time. And... Um, he's made a comeback because um, in most of the post-electoral scenarios that one can imagine, certainly a victory by the right-wing alliance that he has constructed, uh, or in the case of the uh, grand coalition that I was talking about, he would have a role as kingmaker. And that is what has given this octogenarian... He's 81 years old, um, um, convicted criminal. Um, um, he was convicted of tax fraud in 2013, uh, an altogether new life. Well, it's uh, it's one of those funny things where I think a few years ago uh, it would have seemed quite bizarre for him to come back, and now I look at America and think, well, it's very possible. Uh, <laughs> who, who knows? Um, so what? a couple of quick questions uh, just to finish um firstly i know it's a very difficult thing to say when you say it's this complex but do you have any predictions do you have any ideas of what you think the re results might be i think the um, victory by the right um is is quite possible but not yet probable um they have certainly grown um and one thing I just mentioned is that we don't know uh, if the right were to win an outright majority, for which it needs about 40% of the vote around about there. And it's quite close to that, 37, 38. Um, what we don't know is whether Mr Berlusconi's candidate for prime minister, because he himself can't be prime minister because of his conviction, uh, whether his uh, candidate for prime minister would take the top job, uh, or whether it would be the leader of the Northern League, um, Matteo Salvini. And that is a big, big difference, because uh, Salvini represents a much more aggressive, hard rightism. Um, the, he's turned the League into a right-wing populist party. So I think that's possible, um, and, 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 and not short not much short of probable, but the probability, I think, is of a hung parliament. Um, and then all sorts of possibilities open up. Yep, the, the one that I mentioned earlier um, that brings together the Democratic Party and Forza Italia and perhaps some other parties is one possibility. But if the Democratic Party keeps on losing support, then um, maybe wondered whether they'll have enough seats to deliver to make that to give that 
coalition a majority, um, at which point other possibilities uh, come into play um, in, that involve including the Five Star Movement in the government. And I think that would frighten the markets, um, but I'm not entirely sure that they would be right to be frightened because um, a coalition with other parties might be uh, an intelligent way to incorporate the Five Star Movement more into the political mainstream. And so lastly, because I know, uh, especially from a sort of UK point of view, these elections are quite hard to follow because they're both first past the post and proportional representation. So what do you think the, um, apart from yourself, obviously, who should listeners follow? Where should they uh, watch the elections online? What are the best ways to uh, understand and find out what's going on? I think it depends on the depth of knowledge that they want. Um, the... Um, I think the obvious places to look for coverage are the main uh, newspapers, um, websites. Um, there's also a for slightly more uh, detailed look um, for those of uh, your listeners who are real um, international politics wonks, uh, then uh, there is the website of the uh, English language service of the Italian news agency ANSA. Uh, that certainly would give people a deeper look at what is happening. Um, and um, for those who can read Italian and who are uh, real uh, international politics wonks, then um, there is a great website that uh, is called Termometro Politico, political thermometer. And uh, even if you don't read Italian, you'd be able to make sense of a lot of it because it has results of polls and, and so on. Um, but now there's a polling blackout, um, and the only way to keep up with them is uh, a rather amusing um, aspect of recent Italian uh, elections, which is uh, there is this... Uh, ban on, on um, putting the polls into print. But that doesn't stop websites inventing, for example, horse races <laughs> in which the runners and riders are um, uh, uh, carefully, um, well, not too carefully, uh, disguised. And um, you can work out from their report on the horse race uh, exactly what the polls are saying. And uh, I think some of those will also be on Termometro Politico. Um, but um, a, a look on Google might find other places where they could be turned up. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Big thanks to John for agreeing to talk to me. Um, you can follow John on Twitter at John underscore Hooper. Read many of his articles on TheEconomist.com and his most recent book, The Italians, An Insight into the Unique Character of the People of Italy, is available to buy from all good bookshops, all bad ones and all morally ambivalent ones as well. Uh, the Italian news agency site in English that John mentions also is uh, www.ansa.it forward slash English. So do check that out. Again, as always, I have a few interviews in the bag for future episodes, but I would love to hear from you who you'd like to hear on the show or what issues I should interview people about. Um, I say hear from you. I mean, read from you. Please don't call me. I mean, who actually calls people? Where do you live? The 90s. Um, anyway, if you do have any suggestions, please send them to... What, what if I want to just say hello, then go to the Twitter at Hardball Bro or the Facebook group whose title is long or email me at Partly Political Broadcasts at gmail.com Love you And now, because I didn't get to ask John all the questions I wanted to I thought I'd just find out the answers for myself and then relay them to you in a badly informed way with probably loads of mistakes and bad pronunciations I mean, it is 2018 so with this level of expertise I'm probably overqualified to be Foreign Secretary So, very quickly Five Star! Are they called the Five Star Movement because it's led by the 80s British pop group Five Star? No, uh, that is very obscure and only systematics will understand that terrible gag. Are they called Five Star Movement because even the people who complain on TripAdvisor that the ice hotel was too cold or a museum had too much old stuff in it, even they like them? Well, no, but also yes, as the Five Star Movement could gain a large amount of seats in the Chamber of Deputies, which is Italy's House of Commons. But they probably won't win, though, because it's likely that they won't want to form a coalition with any of the other parties, because you can't be in an anti-establishment party if you hang around with the establishment in the establishment, and hence the problem of anti-establishment parties. Are they called the Five Star Movement because they get great Edinburgh reviews? Well, Five Star were founded by a comedian called Beppe Grillo, so that is possible. And no, I'm not getting any big ideas, uh, don't worry i'm not going to set up my own uh, four star but it read like a five movement and um, five star were set up as a retaliation against left and right-wing politics and they're a self-declared populist movement which i wasn't sure you could do i mean if i tell people i'm definitely funny that doesn't mean they won't boo me and down thumb my youtube videos does it except five star are now popular so maybe there's something in that Five stars refers to their five key issues, which are public water, sustainable transport, sustainable development, environmentalism and a right to internet access, you know, so you can tweet your top gags in between planting trees. Except in their current campaign with new leader Luigi Di Maio, they are also very Eurosceptic, for reasons John explained, and quite anti-immigration, wanting an end to what they call the sea taxi service that brings migrants to Europe from Africa, which I don't think is like a proper taxi. I mean, I barely trust most Uber drivers on the road. Which brings us to... Immigration! Which is the hot topic for this year's election because, you know, I think it's a prerequisite for any predominantly white country in the Western world in the 20-teens. Italy is generally the first landing point for refugees arriving from North Africa and the country has seen 600,000 immigrants arrive in the last four years and a foreign-born population increased by over 5 million in the last 16 years. And we all know rising immigration plus failing economy equals racist pointing fingers. Ah, this decade's mad. Magic maths. The League are a far-right racist party who've gone for the boring old Italians first slogan because no one's originally more and they want closed borders and to deport 100,000 immigrants. I do often wonder if we should just allocate a big island to all the world's racists and then they can live there together in harmony building walls. But then I remember they'd be immigrants to that island and then they'd have to hate themselves which could make it tricky. As well as the League there is also a smaller fringe fascist group Casa Pound who are named after the racist poet Ezra Pound, not an Italian version of Poundland. And they are also gaining support and there have been a number of attacks on immigrants thanks to their movement. Now the problem with these groups is while they happen to be quite small, rather than condemn them, some of the main parties have decided that actually all this anti-immigration sentiment sounds quite fun, so they've adopted it as well. With Forza Italia led by, if Hamburglar was a sex criminal, Berlusconi, declaring that migrants are a social bomb. I mean I'm not sure he can say that about anyone when his social life revolved around bunga bunga parties. So that's the problem. As John mentioned, these two small groups could end up in a coalition with some of the bigger groups who endorse what they say, and then we have a big old fascist problem. The Democratic Party are the only ones not towing the anti-immigration line, but... 
They are led by Matteo Renzi, a man who was Prime Minister until December 2016 when he held a referendum for constitutional reform, which would have reduced the amount of ministers in the parliamentary houses, which was a generally popular idea, except in his reform it would have meant the Senate would have had few vetoing powers over things he did as Prime Minister, and basically it looked like a big old power snatch, which is also probably the name of one of Berlusconi's parties. Anyway, the public said nope, and Renzi resigned, which was all quite unpopular. But his party have been in power since, and hey, you never know, second time lucky, maybe? And lastly... How exactly do the elections work? Right, deep breath. I'm going to try and explain this, even though I really don't understand it. Uh, There are 630 seats in the Chamber of Deputies, a.k.a. Italy's House of Commons, and 309 in the Senate of the Republic, a.k.a. Italy's House of Lords, uh, except they're elected and they don't have Lord Tebbit making people ill. In the deputies, uh, 232 seats are elected by first-past-the-post, 386 by proportional representation and 12 by Italian voters overseas. In the Senate, it's 102 by FPTP, 207 by PR and 6 by people who don't even live there anymore but like ruining it for everyone else. So, candidates put their names down for the first-past-the-post voting in one constituency but then they can also be on five proportional representation lists in locations of their choosing. Then voters get two slips, one for the lower house and one for the upper and then they put a cross in each slip which somehow counts for both first past the post and proportional representation and that's number wang confusing isn't it and then last year the rule that any party that got 40 percent gained an absolute majority got scrapped so now it's even more likely that to have a majority in this election each party is going to need some sort of coalition with maybe the larger party's leader becoming prime minister and less forza italia win in which case it won't be their leader because he's a big old orange criminal Got it? Yeah. No. Well, look, hopefully that's helpful and you can all sit back on Sunday and just watch the results roll in, completely and utterly confused by what any of them mean because you don't speak Italian. Oh, happy day, oh, happy day. Labour have finally decided on a Brexit policy. Sort of. Kind of. Well, look, for months now, Corbyn has had interviews where he said he wants a jobs-first Brexit, which didn't mean much to anyone. I mean, jobbies first, I could have understood, and that would have felt pretty apt, considering all the shit will hit the fan before anything else. So, jobs first, and sort of protecting jobs, that's what he went for, but also, then Brexit, which feels like it's some sort of clever trick question, because it's not really doable to have both. Then, across the Labour Party, different people would just sort of give different opinions on what they wanted with super Remainers, some really big levers, and then Barry Gardner, who changed his mind about 12 times every interview. But today, Corbyn said he wanted a comprehensive customs union with the EU. Hooray! What does that mean? No idea. OK, thanks, bye! Joke! I don't have much of an idea, but again, I'm going to try. You're welcome. What it would mean, a comprehensive customs union, is that we'd be part of a customs union where the UK would have access to the EU's free trade tariffs and we might get a teeny tiny little say in them, but we wouldn't get to veto anything we didn't like. And we'd probably have to pay a ton for it as well. So if the EU suddenly said, hey, we're going to do a big deal with this galactic Nazi robot army, the UK would go, I don't think we like that. And the EU would be like, shut your face and then just do it. And then we'd get some really nice boots. But that's unlikely. I mean, it would also mean, actually, that there wouldn't need to be a border between Northern Ireland and the Republic, which would be pretty good. And on the whole, it's probably a much better idea than the Conservatives' complete animosity towards the idea of a customs union with the EU, as they just think they can find another way towards what they call frictionless trade. Which I think is when all your goods are really greased up with oil and then just slid over to you. Except, obviously, between Ireland and Northern Ireland, because there'd be a whacking great big border over there with men with big greaseproof gloves on in order to catch stuff, because the Conservatives keep forgetting that they exist. So, the Labour stance could be a good move. But Corbyn, during his speech, also added some nonsense uh, when he was saying what his policy is. And this nonsense slightly concerned me. Things like about how we'll get a Brexit dividend when we leave, which we won't. I mean, 
we'll have some money that we don't pay into a pot that we then get more back from. So in a way, it's a dividend, like in a way that all the money the government have cut from police budgets is a dividend that they've saved, except now all the crime isn't being stopped and therefore loads more money is being lost in crime things and crime prevention. So as you see, what I mean, it's a shit idea. That's how it's a dividend. Corbyn also said that while it's not migrants driving down wages, it's employers driving down pay as a result of freedom of movement, which is also total Ed Balls. And every study shows either no or a positive impact of immigration on wages, with only one study showing a tiny, tiny negative impact of 1% fall for low-waged workers over eight years, which is less than has been caused by austerity. I mean, if Corbyn wants a real rise in workers' wages, he should really just campaign to deport the government. So that's Labour for now, until they probably change their mind later this week. Meanwhile, the Conservatives' road to Brexit speeches have continued, with David Liddington today making a boring, boring speech that mainly amounted to him saying that Brexit would be great for devolution. Something that I entirely agreed with. I think we're all going to be very devolved after it. Oh, wait, he means law-wise for Wales and Scotland. Oh, I see. Except the thing is, it's probably not going to be great in devolution-wise for Wales and Scotland, because... Unlike before, the EU withdrawal bill looks set to return powers over things like farming to Westminster, so that things like food labelling and hygiene rules, they can be universal all over the UK. You know, unlike now, where they're universal all over Europe and Wales and Scotland can just do it themselves and sell to Europe instead of letting Parliament fuck it up for everyone. Then, David Davis's speech last week mostly amounted to him promising it won't be as awful as a cinematic dystopian nightmare, which I translate as being, it'll be shit bad but not very entertaining. Two more Road to Brexit speeches to go from May and before that disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox the Disgrace, which will probably be a collection of things that he just makes up on the spot about how if we leave Europe we'll finally be able to eat sandwiches and trade with Martians or something before denying that he said any of that when questioned by journalists. On the Andrew Marr show on Sunday, Liam Fox banged on and on about how we've got to stop seeing Europe as the centre of the debate and we've got to orientate the United Kingdom. Sure, let's remove Europe from the middle of the conversation about leaving Europe, idiot. We've got to stop seeing the sun as the centre of the solar system. We've got to orientate the earth. We've got to stop seeing the film we're going to see as the centre of our afternoon. We've got to orientate reading a review of the film on Rotten Tomatoes by someone who can't spell. God, I really hope he falls down a well. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Thank you for listening. And uh, I mean that sincerely. Did that did that sound sincere? What about if I say it like this? Thank you for listening. No? Did that not? Okay, how about now? Thank you for listening. That No, okay. Uh, don't forget to review the show on iTunes or wherever you pod at. Uh, donate to the patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro or just write in on the Facebook, Twitter or email or aggressively shout at me in the street if you see me. Ha, more fool you. I'm not going outside for ages. Thanks to Acast for sheltering this show under their podbrella and to my brother, The Last Skeptic, who, I mean, he doesn't really actually do anything directly for this, but he also hasn't complained about me using his beats for over two years now, so I sort of feel like the thanks is deserved. Um, this will be back next week when Theresa May will have made her Road to Brexit speech laying out about how we'll be keeping all the things the EU had just, you know, on shuffle and with a different Instagram filter. Kisses! This week's show was brought to you by... Mad Max 2, Road to Brexit. A hugely boring film, Empire Magazine. Nothing really happens for ages, The Times. Well, that's 20 months of my life I'll never get back, The Guardian. Mad Max 2, Road to Brexit. The future belongs to the maddening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 